Welcome to Wobblies and Wizards. I am your host, Logar the Barbarian. And Logar, Logar's not my real name. Logar's actually my character, an astonishing swordsman and sorcerers of Hyperborea. And guess who I've got here with me today? None other than five-sevenths of our astonishing swordsmen and sorcerers of Hyperborea game group. I'd like to introduce all of them. Actually, we had a, a slightly different lineup on yesterday's podcast. We had fellow worker Nick here with us, who is not. But today we do have our regular co-host, Light. Light? Hey, how's everyone doing today? I currently DM or referee the Astonishing Swordsmen and Sorcerers of Hyperborea game for everybody. So I will be answering questions from the perspective of the Dungeon Master. We also have with us Baracha, who you may remember from our episode yesterday. Baracha, could you say hi to the listeners? Hello, I'm the beautiful Hyperborean Berserker Baracha. <laughs> and then we have Cole Jake. Actually, today it's Podcast Jake. That's right. <laughs> I am Podcast Jake today. And joining us today is our other player, Len. Len, could you introduce yourself to the listeners? Hi, um, my name's Len, and uh, yes, I am newest member of this group. I also play a beautiful berserker named Russell, named after the uh, star artist. And in my uh, spare time, I uh, design some uh, RPGs. So, could you tell us about a couple of those RPGs? Because I think at least one of them is very relevant to this game a little bit, <laughs> similar style, but you got a, a couple others out. Could you tell us about a few of those real quick? Uh, Sure. Uh, uh, briefly, probably the two latest and uh, ones that I have the biggest focus on right now. One is called Prowlers and Paragons Ultimate Edition, which is a superhero role-playing game that uh, some folks seem to enjoy. But the one that uh, um, Logar has mentioned is likely by this axe I hack, which is a hack of the black hack. How many times can I say the word hack? Uh, specifically focused on Conan, Fafford and the Grey Mouser, Elric, and stories like that, right in line with the uh, Astonishing Swordsman and Sorcerers of Hyperborea feel. So what, we, so what we're doing this weekend is we've, we've got the game group on, what we've been playing Astonishing Swordsman and Sorcerers of Hyperborea. If you haven't listened to yesterday's podcast, please do, because it's a good introduction to this one. We want to talk about a few more nuances of the game, though, today. And one of those things is the game we're talking about, of course, is that Astonishing Swordsman and Sorcerers of Hyperborea game. One of the things is the mechanics of the game. And as we said yesterday, it is an AD&D, Osric sort of based game system, but there are some differences. And one of those differences, we, like we talked about yesterday, are the, the different classes. They're based on your core four, your core four, which if you're familiar with that, that's your priest, your fighter, your magic user, and your thief. So all of them are some sort of variant of those four. In the second edition, there's a few more of those classes than the first edition. There's supposed to be some new ones coming out with that third edition that's coming out in the near future. I'm excited for that. Now, as for the mechanics of the combat, I know one thing that people tend to get intimidated by is ascending or descending armor class versus ascending armor class. And I'd like to talk about that real quick in our combat and how we've had how we've done with that and how everybody feels about that as logar mentioned you know this is traditional decreasing armor class the lower the number of your armor class the harder it is to hit you um there is no thaco in this system they do use something called fighting ability which is 
pretty much replaces the user Thaco. It'll be equivalent to your bonus to hit modifier for in other systems like say 5e. So as your level goes up, your fighting ability goes up. So luckily in the DM's screen, they've provided a handy dandy chart to convert your fighting ability to what dice you need to roll for your armor class. So I've been doing that conversion for the players versus trying to go through a traditional Thaco calculation or a bonus to hit um, addition for the other systems that we have. So some of the players, could you speak on, has that been complicated for anybody? Have we had any problems with it? Because I sure haven't. I mean, it's been a little complicated for me because, you know, I started playing with fifth edition and they do the ascending, not the descending. Yes. But luckily you guys have kind of been there to uh, tell, tell me what I'm doing wrong or <laughs> how, how it works. I still don't understand the whole Thacko thing. Well, have we had to use it though? Because from what the way that I've been playing, I don't know what number I'm trying to hit most of the time. It's a mystery to me. And sometimes Light will ask for our uh, fighting ability. And that's about it. I'm still rolling a 20, trying to roll high. I just don't know what I'm trying to hit. It's kind of concealed from me. Yeah. So I prefer to keep it a mystery for my games just because it makes it more interesting and it's different for every player. So Let's say with Cold Jake as a magic user, his fighting ability is a lot less than, say, Rosoff for Baracha or Logar, who are fighter cl- you know, classes. So it's much easier for the fighter classes to hit because of their higher fighting ability. So it adds a little bit of you know, mystery to the game itself. So for me, that's why I've, I've been uh, running it that way. Baracha. Yeah, I find the rules pretty straightforward. I think the only time where it might get a little confusing is when we get new gear or something magical and we want to... Uh, make sure we recalculate our armor or our attacks just to make sure everything's up to date. So like, I feel like most of the time, rolling is pretty straightforward. Um, it's just that when you get new gear, yeah, going through making sure everything is is buttoned up. Len? Um, I'm a firm believer that the ascending versus descending debate is simply a result of what you hit first. It's like Guy Ritchie movies. The first one you saw is your favorite. Um, I'm a believer that that's the situation with ascending and descending. And the way light runs the game, pretty much everything is behind the screen. We roll the die and, and are told whether or not we hit. And I think you could do that and keep the mystery with any approach to the attack rolls. So um, there's been any problem, I think, on our I do want to circle around to Cold Jake again before we leave this subject. Because Cold Jake, uh-oh. What uh, can you can you give me now? I know you run our Dungeon Crawl Classics games that we run through or play through. That's been a real good fun game. So you're very much that's an ascending armor class game there. And can you tell us a bit about some of the other? I know you've run some fifth edition stuff like that. So I'd like you to give me a little more insight on what it is you found confusing about the descending and stuff like that. If you could just, I, I'm curious to know. I think. Mostly it was like the, the fighting ability number and um, I'm, I'm not really, I've never really looked into it that hard, but um, just like where the fighting ability comes into play and, and why that's important. But, you know, I mean, as long as I'm not, I don't run games with that. So I've never really had to devote time to figure it out. But, you know, the whole Thacko thing, I think I saw that in a, one of my old AD&D books 
that I was leafing through and I just, I skipped right over it. I was like, I don't, this is too much. (laughs) (laughs) So so here's, here's the thing. I've run a lot of second edition and more second edition than any other edition of older D and D. I think I've run second edition the most. And that is the one that uses the Thaco calculation directly on there and not the chart. I don't like eh, that descending as much as an ascending armor class game. Mostly because I've noticed that when running it with the Thacko and you're using the calculation in game, I tend to lose some players and a lot of players have to be refreshed often. While the calculation is a simple one, if you're the only one that remembers it, it's not great for the whole team. One thing I thought was positive about third edition was the ascending armor class, being able to see the armor class on the sheet, knowing that you just have to roll over that. So I do think ascending is good. I think that when you're, we're running this game, the way Light handles it as I don't have to look for it, do the calculation, it all happens behind the DM screen, makes me not have to worry about it as a player. And had I been running second edition like that, where I didn't ask for people's stack and try to have them involved in calculating it, it probably would have ran a lot smoother. So I, I, I think that that's worked out for our game a lot, and I commend him for taking that route. Do we have anything else that anybody has found difficult or challenging about the combat system itself? I like how we certain classes allow you to attack in one round or more, depending on your skill set and uh, special abilities. Yes. And now I had a discussion with this in another group about how that works. And this is very much some of these mechanics are coming from A, B, and D and stuff like that. Is you get three attacks per two rounds so it'll be like a two attacks and then the next attack you get a one that was exactly what i was going to mention too not having been anywhere near uh ad and d in a number of years um i've forgotten how they um how they stack attacks such that you have a different number of attacks on uh, uh rounds that are next to one another so instead of two attacks every round or three attacks every round those alternating rounds i I'd completely forgotten that. I, I don't know that I would design anything with that now, but playing it, it's charming. <laughs> I like it. I enjoy getting that extra attack. I get excited. Like, oh, I can do an extra attack on this round. Oh, yeah, I can try to get the baddies twice. <laughs> yes, it's a nice flashback. Uh, Baracha? I like it when I roll one on the first, when I have two attacks, I roll one on the first one and lose my weapon. <laughs> I'm pretty much screwed. I'm like, oh, that was a waste. Yeah, second attack, I guess I'll punch somebody. <laughs> I guess I'll pick up my weapon. Well, we get to spend my two picking up my weapon after dropping it. We have a we had a track record for one, so it was it was on parallel for quite a while. <laughs> I wanted to add something too to it. We had discussed how some of those throwbacks to AD and I'm not running this game. Light is, and I know that one thing I like about this game when I look over it and I'm reading it and I'm preparing it is. The fact that it is very structured on Osric or AD&D. So Osric is a retro clone that retells Advanced Dungeons and Dragons kind of in a, in a different format. So you can still make games and stuff compatible with it if you're not familiar with that. The Advanced Dungeons and Dragons, the older D&D from the late 70s and through the 80s, there's a lot of books out there for it. And one thing that I appreciate about a game like this is I've got so many monsters manuals and other books that I could just grab and use with this without having to change a thing with the stats or mess with it. I like that about this 
game. That kind of draws me into it. If I were running it, I promise y'all, I would be pulling out old AD&D books and monster manuals and even some of those newer Osric prints of, of, of stuff for AD&D that I have on my shelf that I've been dying to get to. So that's one thing I do really like about the game itself. I mean, I've been certainly pulling monsters from the different bestiaries from the uh, different OSR clones. So from like, you know, Swords and Wizardry bestiary, Tomb of Horrors is a huge one that I've uh, been pulling from. And like you said, from the ADD as well, too. So it makes the translation seamless, pretty much um, pulling in those. But what Tome of Horrors are you using? Are you using the Swords and Wizardry Tome of Horrors by chance? I am. Yep. I got to say that those Tome of Horrors books, I really appreciate them. They have a lot of crazy monsters in there. If you're going to pick up a book, I know you can get uh, reprints that are in paperback now on Amazon and I think maybe drive through, but they also, you can get a PDF of it for probably a relatively low cost. You don't have to buy the original hardback. You, someone's trying to charge like 300 bucks for it or something. If you see that around. There's a lot of good monsters in that. And if you're DMing some old school games, that's a book to pick up. And I think for anyone who's played for a while, anything that could potentially recapture how we completely lost our minds the first time we encountered a skeleton and had no idea what to do with it or how powerful it was uh, uh, is a great purchase. So anything with monsters that we don't recognize, don't expect what they can do, and that will surprise us is, is worth every penny. Yeah, and when you're buying when you're buying a lot of newer games, you you got a main book. If it's a new system and stuff, you don't have a lot for it. Probably you have to go out and spend a lot of money to get other stuff. Where do you want to? But if you're buying Astonishing Swordsman and Sources of Hyperborea and you've been playing, you got some old AD and D stuff. It's a great game to check out because you've already got a library to go with it. And I really appreciate that about the game. Yep. And then as Logar was mentioning earlier in regards to some of the old school ability checks, you know, whatever, test of strength, test of dex, with this system, you know, it's all based off like what, a D6 or a D12 or a percentage. So it really does have that old school feel. So we do go through that in this system. I also use a traditional you know, D20 mechanic with the difficulty challenges if we encounter something that, you know, doesn't fit into the normal rule set. So I do blend in some of the D20 checks on top of the traditional test of strength or extraordinary feats of strength. Baracha. Yeah, like all the unique monsters that we face off in this game, they're all like slightly different, have a nice flavor to it, uh, both figuratively and literally, because I'm a butcher, so I prefer cutting, <laughs> taking uh, souvenirs of my kills and trying to eat it. <laughs> <laughs> okay yeah, uh, i think but, we had to do some checks for upset stomachs <laughs> yeah yeah didn't we, uh, didn't we eat a troglodyte one time yeah you guys tried to eat a troglodyte <laughs> i remember that we were all making checks to see if we were getting sick and that was the one <laughs> game i missed <laughs> <laughs> one game i wanted to partake to eat eat something and i wasn't there and that's oh, well. what that that was around the time Logar got got his cursed armor. So Logar yes. started off worshiping Krom, but but found this good arm, this good plate mail armor, put it on, and Logar does not want to take it off because it's cursed, and it makes you have to. I guess it makes him have to worship Dagon. So 
I guess every time this comes up, Logar is in the corner of Hail Dagon. So <laughs> his armor curse and he can't take the stuff off. He just loves Dagon now, worshiping the old ones. <laughs> yep. <laughs> All right. We're moving on from the monsters. Let's talk about the magic system itself. Has anybody, can anybody speak to that? Because I've not, I know it's Vansian. I'm very inexperienced with the magic system in this. I've done a lot of AD&D magic, but I haven't specifically done any of the magic classes. And I know we've had a few here that have had more experience to that. What could you say about the magic classes that you've, you've found to be positive, negative, interesting, how it works, how it's different from other role-playing games? I think I'm the only magic user here. Yeah, I mean, I just, I just kind of tell light what spell i want to cast and he tells me if it'll if it hits or not so i mean he, he, it's kind of handled the same way as uh like actual physical combat where i just kind of try to roll high and and see what happens yeah so in this game you know we mentioned in physical melee combat there's fighting ability um uh, for magic there's casting ability that they use to uh check for uh casting spells and such uh, the one thing I found interesting within this system was the subclasses within the magicians and clerics. So you can have a dedicated Crowmancer class, which uh, what Koji plays, or a dedicated Pyromancer class, which I haven't really seen in other systems, aside from like Warhammer Fantasy, maybe. Uh, so for me, having all these detailed subclasses for the magicians, I found really, really interesting, you know, dedicated which subclass um, within the cleric subclass it's even also very interesting because they have like a priest. Um, in our last session, we had, you know, fellow worker Nick who was a rune engraver as well as shamans. So for me, detail, them detailing out these interesting subclasses really um, attracted me to the game itself versus some of the other ones where you sort of had to piecemeal together a character class if you want to play like a you know, pyromancer or something like that. Yeah. And so I, I just want to go over real quickly. We said there's a lot of interesting classes in here, but I don't think we named all of them. But I want to just run through both the magician subclasses and the cleric subclasses so you get an idea what's there. And I'm not sure what's going to be in the third edition when that comes out. I've heard there's a few more classes coming out. But so they have the magician subclasses. You have a chiromancer, an illusionist, a necromancer, a pyromancer, and a witch. Then when you go to the cleric subclasses, you have a druid, a monk, a, a priest, a rune graver, and a shaman. Now, what I do, what I have seen in the past is when you're playing through second edition, this, this reminds me of a little bit, is they have schools of magic and people can specialize them throughout second edition. And this kind of puts me in the mind of that, but you have a whole class instead of just choosing magic user and then choosing your school, there's actually like specific things to each one. Like, are there specific spells to the Chiromancer when you're playing it or specific abilities that are not spell-based on top of that? Or how does that work? Yeah, so I have my own uh, table. can't remember what page it's on in the... It is on page 144 if you're interested. But each subclass of Magician has their own table of spells that they can pick from, and it's divided by levels. So some of them I know are multi-class, like there'll be some, and then each spell, uh, when you look it up, it'll say, you know, like level one necro necromancy or uh, the animated dead, a magician, a necromancer, a witch, or a cleric can, 
get those spells. So there is some crossover spells. Yeah. Yeah, but mostly the the big one is I have fire vulnerability and a cold affinity. I can also create an icicle in my hand that has a 15-foot radius of light, or I could use it as a single-use dagger. Oh yeah, that's the that's the dagger that you use all the time in game. Is that that is that a spell or is that like just a class ability? Well, I have the class ability, but then I also have a spell called Magic Ice Dart, and I get one icicle per round per my caster level. So I think I can I have a Magic Ice Dart for six turns, and I just I just throw them, and I usually miss when I throw them. That's because you're using your fighting ability. Not your casting yeah. ability. <laughs> so each wow. of the um, each of the classes have their own special class skill sets. So as Jake mentioned, you know the Cryomancer can create ice codes and stuff. You know the witch can uh, brew potions and have a which is familiar, and then can make a magic broom, for example, at higher levels. So they all have unique magical abilities within each of their classes, which makes it quite uh, unique. You know, Necromancer they can command undead. You know, at third level, it's not a spell. It's just a class ability that they pick up. So by doing it that way, I think it adds a lot of flavor and uniqueness to each of the classes versus, you know, as Len mentioned, a generic spell table, for example, like that. But, uh, you know, so I find that that makes the game quite interesting and unique. And there's also a lot of dual classes that are built in as well, too. So you have a warlock class within the fighter subclass, who's a fighter magician. And then within the thief, subclasses you also have subclasses that are like a thief cleric or a thief magic user as well too which again <clears throat> makes it a little bit interesting in regards to blending some of the classes and that's built into the actual uh class sheet itself Roger, did you have something to add to that yeah like i think this was the first game i, I typically play fighters that's easy for me but in this game the magical classes are really appealing like the rune engraver that Nick plays, his class abilities are really amazing. Like the enlargement, Logar got enlarged yes. <laughs> giant at Port Greeley uh, when we were doing a massive uh, battle. And also the rune engraver has whole person. And whole person was used pretty creatively in really bad situations and crazy things happen with these uh, class abilities. So the, the rune engraver, he was both doing combat and magic stuff and in a way that was very cool. And it was very appealing to me. And I typically play a fighter class, but in Hyperborea, these other classes are appealing, and I feel like I could easily take one up and still have fun. Cold Jake, did you have something to add to that? Yeah, I think that if um, Cold Jake were to meet an untimely demise, <laughs> I know I've joked around about making a pyromancer, but the one class that it mixes magic and like. Uh, thievery i guess that actually i think would probably be what i would go with well, look at that uh, class sure while you're while you're looking up the this is just one about classes in general i'll tell you when i first looked at the game i thought there were a lot of classes that seemed kind of similar and i wasn't sure about if i was necessarily on board with the idea of, of all the classes they have because some of them are kind of similar but I, I am kind of i am a fan of class systems because I think the existence of the classes help define the world. The classes are actually world building in a kind of backwards way. And I kind yes. of like backwards, sneaky world building more than actually express world building. And classes do that really well. 
So, you know, for that reason, even though there is not, let's say, a world of difference between, for example, the barbarian and the berserker, there is some difference, and that difference helps, you know, support the kind of world that the whole game is about. Um, and uh, the magic classes also do that very, very well. You know, you could easily have a base magic class that just had pick one special ability, pyro or cryo or whatever, but creating them differently has a different effect on the whole thing. And I actually think it works really well. Yeah. So the ledger demo, okay, I can't pronounce this. The We found the, the thief magic user. It's ledger demanist. I, I'm not going to even try. Ledger demanist. Ledger demanist is the thief subclass. So I could go through all the different subclasses in here. There's quite a few. I'm not going to take the time to do that in the podcast. We got other things to cover. But there's quite a few. And I, like I said before, I think the third edition is said to have a few more classes. I don't know how different they're going to be or how similar. I guess we'll have to wait. I backed it on the Kickstarter. And it's instead of one giant core book, apparently there's a player's handbook and a dungeon master's handbook. And the name is being truncated just to Hyperborea, I believe, instead of calling yes. it Astonishing Swordsmen and Sorcerers of Hyperborea, I think is the route that they're going to go with. So I got a couple of quick questions uh, for everyone here. And this is kind of like maybe to give the listeners an idea if this is something they want to do. Uh, why would one wish to run Hyperborea over other games that are out there? And who do you think it's for and maybe not for? Anybody speak to that? So, you know, initially when we picked up Hyperborea, you know, Logar and I picked it up for like a humble bundle in PDF. And we saw it, we're like, oh, this is an interesting swords and sorcery Conan type of universe that would be different than some of the traditional fantasy games that we've been playing where there were whatever elves and halflings and dragons and such. So for this one, you know, we thought it'd be interesting to do something a little bit more gritty, a little bit more violent. Um, though I would argue that some of our games may end up being more like Gru than Conan Hardcore, <laughs> which, is, which is fine. It's, you know, that's why we roll ones and it's fun that way. So, you know, but within the universe setting itself, I think it brings a unique flavor that's different. So if people are looking for a swords and sorcery, type of game then obviously i think you know this is one that they should uh consider as well as you know buy this axi hack which um land who's also written is also a very good swords and sorcery type of game this one has more weird science fiction weird fantasy elements to it with some lovecraftian mixed in so depending on the type of swords and sorcery universe you're looking for you know these would be the elements that i would say that this game is strong for would be some of the more weird science fiction with a touch of some of the Lovecraftian elements. Uh, Len, did you want to? Um, yeah, I think the game is basically perfect for anyone who digs the uh, 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 the classic sword, pulp, sword and sorcery sort of uh, uh, world, but still wants to play the Dungeons and Dragons game. I mean, mechanically, the way the game feels, it feels the same as when you're playing the game with the elves and the dwarves and fighting the dragons and whatever, but you're doing it in a different world with different classes. So um, it's got the same, you know, it's got the same mouthfeel <laughs> as a regular Dungeons and Dragons. So um, for someone who wants to play Dungeons and Dragons, but in a different world, different setting, uh, I think it's perfect. And I think the only place or, or where the only people who might not be thrilled with it is if you're looking to play a different 
feel of game, if you're looking for a, a game that kind of moves differently, you know, that's where the folks who, who because at the end of the day, it's still Dungeons and Dragons. If that's the system you want, you're in. If you're looking for uh, 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 something that sort of operates differently, you know, that feels more pulpy or whatever, that's where, at the end of the day, it's still Dungeons and Dragons. And that brings with it all the positives and all the negatives, depending on, you know, your personal taste. I think that one thing I really appreciate about it is I, I do like the fact that the Tolkien stuff is not there. I've I, I enjoy that stuff in a lot of games. I've played a lot of it, but but I, I appreciate not having it there as a part of the fantasy. Most of the fantasy that I do read is kind of older pulp fantasy. Baracha? Yeah, I t- totally agree. It, it's just different. Like, you don't have the standard elves, dwarves, orcs. Like, yeah, very different classes, very different monsters that we're fighting. It, I, I like that variety and, and a different feel. And I, I like the fact that it's like, if I want to, I can be like the Conan movies and be Conan. Yeah, I like that. That was the first thing like I said. That was the first thing we did when we were getting this game together. We sat down to make characters together. I said, is anybody going to play the Barbarian? Because this is Astonishing Swordsman and Sources of Hyperborea. This is like Robert E. Howard. This is the Conan game. I want to play Conan. <laughs> yeah, I and be I- the Barbarian. And I'm fine with it. You know, if everyone wants to play like a Barbarian Berserker fighter class, you know, I'm totally fine with that in game. I'll just I throw in some NPCs to cover for your thievery or your clerical healing, you know, but if people want all, all play massive fighters, go right at it. <laughs> and I've not played a lot of fighters over the years. I, I don't normally pick up a fighter, especially a human fighter. So it's a bit of a different uh, a switch up. Yeah, I think every time i play this game I, I i feel like i hear the theme song to conan i keep on hearing the quote where you're screaming lamentation of the women that type of thing. <laughs> <laughs> like all that always uh, plays my mind when we start this game <laughs> oh i like it yeah it's been a fun game and it's it, like i said we're, pro, we're the, the full game here has been approaching its second year anniversary hopefully we have two more ahead of us after that as well because it's it's been fun well, we're kind of coming up on time. Does anybody have anything they'd like to add to this before we leave? Hero points. Oh, that's a house rule we've been using. Anybody like to elaborate on the hero points real quick? Yeah, so I brought in the um, concept of hero points. So this is similar to, um, I guess, inspiration in 5e or resolve in um, some of Lens games where you can spend a point to, you know, re-roll an ability check. Or in our game, I tell people, if you want to do something totally crazy and wild, like, you know, leap across the chasm and do some superhero heroic type of move, then you can spend a hero point to do that to aid in the storytelling of the game. You know, I'm not going to make you do like some type of uh, ability check, but if you want to do something super heroic, like lift the gates up um, to, to the castle and stuff and do something that's very um, epic and uh, heroic in a storytelling fashion, then I tell people use a hero point. So, you know, each person starts off with a number of hero points and you gain more hero points over time. Um, I've also allowed Cole Jake to cast some spells outside of his normal spellcasting ability by using hero points. So it, it's pretty much a, I would say a, a cheat code <laughs> sort of <laughs> yeah. for in video games, but we use it to enhance the game so that people can do, you know, more crazy superhero type of stuff. Well, we're wrap, about getting to be about time. So we're going to have to wrap it up. I'm going to ask you all my listeners, if you enjoyed this, if you've been listening to it, please go ahead and share the episode on your favorite social media that you use a lot. 
Go ahead and visit us at wobbliesandwizards.com. You can find us on Facebook. We have a Facebook page there you can follow, like, and follow. At, just look up Wobblies and Wizards there. And as always, keep those dice rolling. And please keep rolling ones in this game because it's highly entertaining for me. <laughs>